All right. Hope everyone has had a good week. I hope it has been beneficial to you. It, it really has to me. I've, uh, I've really enjoyed, I didn't think I would, to be honest with you, but I've really enjoyed digging deeper into some of these subjects. Uh, presenting it's been a little different experience, but uh, uh, studying it, it is it has been a really uh, beneficial uh, time of study, and I hope that it has been uh, for you too. We've we talked about this week. We started by talking about the world, of how uh, the world physically was before the flood, and also spiritually. And we talked about different things concerning that. We talked about the man Noah, uh, all the things that he went through, all the things he faced, the kind of man that he was, and the endeavors that he had. Uh, to undergo in uh, building the ark. And then we talked about the ark itself, different aspects concerning that. And we also talked about uh, the animals uh, during that, and more specifically last night, the dinosaurs. Um, we discussed different aspects about that. And hopefully each time as we go through this, one, we're seeing uh, the truth that comes from God's word, but we also see how those things could uh, expediently been carried out uh, that God had commanded, and a lot of different possibilities uh, concerning that. Now tonight, we're going to be talking about the flood. We've been leading up to it all week. Uh, we're going to talk about different aspects uh, concerning the flood. But I want to start with a little bit different tonight. I want to ask you about, uh, have you heard, ever heard of this game? You ever did the gossip game? I think when I was younger, I think it was in uh, uh, Judy Chambers' class, I think. So that would have been, what's that, fifth grade? Was it fifth grade? And uh, they called it the telephone game. I don't know if you can now. You know, they say telephone, telegraph, and what they say, Mike? What's the last? Uh, you said it, I didn't. I just want to make sure. <laughs> so, see how attractive into that? Uh, but how this game works is the teacher would, would come up with a phrase, and they'd start with the first student in the class. They'd whisper that phrase to the student and would only tell that student one time. And then you could only repeat it to the next one one time. And then it goes all through the class. And then when it gets to the end of the class, the last one would stand up and tell the teacher uh, what that phrase was. And most of the time, were they correct? No. Somewhere along the line in the classroom, what was said from the beginning to the end would be something different. Now, there would be nuggets of truth in it, but it wouldn't be exactly uh, what the teacher has said. And the reason I bring that up is when you think about the flood and you, you talk about some aspects concerning the flood, uh, when it comes down to it, what do we really know about the flood? You know, when it comes to aspects of the flood, there's, there's some broad things in which uh, the Bible tells us. There's some things in which it, it, it points out and it tells us specifically that took place. But then there's a lot of things that I think, even from a younger age, we hear things. And they may have some nuggets of truth to it, but it may not be exactly the truth. In other words, are we going to take the kiddie version of the flood and of the ark? Are we going to keep that in our minds? Not saying there was anything wrong with that to start out teaching, teaching children, as long as we're teaching them correctly, teaching them on a level in which they can learn. But sometimes that's what we keep in our mind. We keep in our, our mind, you know, the, 
uh, 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 the nice little families out there, the animals are coming up, and, and you see all the animals' heads sticking out of, the, out, out of the windows of the ark, and you see, and we have this kind of picture in our mind that it wasn't really as horrific as really the Bible describes that it is. And, and physical evidence of, of, of how the earth was, that it was, it was really a, a dramatic and, and, and an event like no other event that ever happened. There's, there's no other natural event that took place uh, post-creation uh, ever since. It, it was an event that um, you couldn't really even imagine the magnitude of it. So as, as the story gets told about the floods, one thing that is interesting is that there are a lot of stories, a lot of legends that are told about the flood. When um, one anthropologist actually studied um, folk tales and legends, come to find out there's some 200, at least 200, uh, one evolution, uh, evolutionary scientist says there could be up to 500 legends when it comes to one particular event. Now this one particular event that we're going to talk about tonight, the flood, it spans continents, it spans languages, cultural barriers, uh, all about the same event. Now there may be kind of variations of the legend, variations of the story, but it's really interesting to realize that it's based on the same story. And what I want to do as we start tonight, I want us to look at and maybe go through a few examples, and I'm going to read just a little bit here, I can't remember all of these, of, of the different stories or legends that have been told, starting with the Chinese and Asian, Asian legends. In the land of China, there are many legends about the Great Flood. One of those comes from a group of people known as the Nasu. According to their legend, God sent a personal messenger to earth to warn three sons that a flood was coming. But only one of those sons, the youngest son, is the only one that listened to it. His name was Dum, D-U-M, kind of ironic, I guess. Um, but that was his name. He heeded the messenger. He constructed a wooden boat to prepare for the coming flood. When the waters arrived, Dumb entered the, his boat. He was saved. After the waters began to recede, the boat landed on the mountains of, uh, of, of the Tibetan mountains where Dumb had three sons who repopulated the earth. Now, it's interesting when you think about a, a Chinese legend because when you look at uh, the symbol or the Chinese character or letter for boat, it actually has the symbol for a vessel, the symbol for eight, and the symbol for mouth or people, which makes up the letter or the character for both. So even in a legend, even in the Chinese legends, as some of the stories go, their character that describes what boat is, if they were going to write, write boat, actually has elements of uh, maybe Noah and his family who was on the ark. I think that's kind of ironic. I think that's pretty interesting uh, to know that that still exists uh, today. Then you have in Greek mythology, you have, you have legends about the flood. According to Greek legend of the flood, humans became very wicked. Zeus, the leader of many gods in Greek mythology, wanted to destroy them by a flood and raise up another group. However, before he could do this, a man by the name of Dokalion and his wife Pyrrha were warned of impending disaster. Their for uh, this fortunate couple was placed in a large wooden chest by one of the immortals named uh, Prometheus. 
For nine days and nights the floodwaters covered almost all the earth. Only a few mountain peaks remained. The wooden chest came to rest on the peak of Mount uh, Paranus. And later, after leaving the wooden chest, Deucalion sacrificed to Zeus. Then you have American Indian legends. The Aztecs tell of a worldwide global flood in which a hero named Cox Cox and his wife survived a flood by floating in a boat that came to rest on a mountain. Soon after this flood, giants constructed a great pyramid in an endeavor to reach the clouds. This action supposedly angered their gods, who then scattered the giants with fire sent from the heavens. Does that sound familiar a little bit? In the ancient land uh, now referred to as Mexico, one tribe of the Indians known as the Toltecs told of a great flood. In, in this legend, the flood destroyed the first world in about seven hundred or 1,716 years after it was created. Only a few people escaped this worldwide flood and did so in something uh, resembled a, a closed wooden chest. After these few people exited the closed wooden chest, they wandered about the earth, found a place where they built a high tower in case another flood came upon the earth. Um, and at the time of building this high tower, uh, the language was confused and they separated to different parts of the earth. So here you have just a few of different legends and folklores that's told kind of differently uh, about the flood, but they still have the same um, kind of kernel of truth to them about the flood itself. What about ancient Babylonian mythology? This is possibly the most famous flood account, not including the Bible. It's called the Gilgamesh epic, now which was written on 12 clay tablets that date back to the 7th century BC and tells the story of a hero named uh, Gilgamesh. In his search for eternal life, Gilgamesh sought out Utopia, uh, Unanaphistim. I don't know where they come up with these names. But it was a person who was granted eternal life because he saved a, a boatload of animals and humans during the Great Flood. On the 11th tablet uh, of this epic, a flood account is recorded. According to this story, the gods instructed, uh, instructed him to build a boat because a terrible flood was coming. He built the boat, covered it with pitch, put animals of all kinds on it, as well as certain provisions. And after he entered the boat with his family, it rained for six days and nights. When the flood ended, the boat rested on Mount Nizer. After seven days, he sent out a dove to see if the waters had receded. The dove came back, so he sent a swallow, um, which also returned. Finally, he sent out a raven, which never returned. And his family finally exited the boat and sacrificed to their gods. Now, here's, here's the thing about all of these. The similarities. Now, these were from different cultures at different times that didn't have any, at that time, had any contact with each other as far as uh, being able to share these. So where did they actually get these stories? Now, when you think about uh, these stories and you think about, uh, of course, where they come from, from the uh, global flood of the Bible, there are some similarities of hundreds of flood legends. Notice, 95% say the flood was worldwide or global. 88% say that a certain family uh, was favored or saved. 70% say that survival was by means of a boat. 67% say that these animals were also, uh, that animals were also saved. 
66% say that the flood was due to the wickedness of man. And 66% uh, say that the survivors were uh, forewarned. 57 say that the survivors ended up on a mountain. 35% say that the birds were sent on, uh, out from a boat. 9% say the exact, uh, that exactly eight people were saved. So, when you, you see all of this again, where was the source of this? When you hear all of these legends of, of these different cultures that were divided by uh, geography, they were divided by language, and all of these things at different times in, in history, where was the source of this? Well, the source would be the Bible, wouldn't it? Uh, that's where it came from. If you think about uh, the Genesis account, it was written, what, some hundred years or so after the flood. So as you, as you see these things, or, or longer than that, I mean, as you see these things that it, even written after that, so if, if it wasn't recorded, how did it get distributed before this? Did somebody's parent say to their child and that child say to somebody else and that generation says to the next generation? How did it get passed down? Well, it got passed down by word of mouth eventually uh, spreading all over. Now, just like we talked about the gossip game, when something gets spread by word of mouth, what usually happens? Yeah, it kind of alters as it goes. So as it altered as it went, it still had the nuggets of truth in it, but it got altered along the way. But here's the point. Now, does it matter that there's uh, 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 legends in China about it? Does it matter that there's legends uh, uh, of, of other people in all these different countries or all these different languages? One thing that it does say all of them says, basically, there was a global event, a global flood that happened. You know, you would think if it was a local flood, or if you think that it either didn't happen or was a local flood, like uh, uh, some of the evolutionists want you to believe, then there wouldn't be stories like that, would there? It, it wouldn't have been handed down like that. So as we think about this, we need to think about it ourselves. What do we think about the flood? What do we know about the flood? What are we teaching about the flood? And understand, uh, we need to know exactly and study exactly what the Bible says about the flood and make sure that we teach exactly what the Bible says. Not to embellish our own stories to it. Not to minimize what it was to, to make us feel better sometimes. But actually say uh, what the scriptures say. Now, I want us to move on and I want us to realize, was the flood local or was it global? Because many, many do say that it was a local flood, it wasn't a global flood. So all the things that we're going to talk about tonight, or I'm going to try to talk about tonight, of all the scientific evidence of what took place during the flood, they're saying that wasn't caused by the flood, that, that was something else, or it happened over, you know, billions of years. Um, because what happens is, if you don't want to admit one certain thing, which they don't when it comes to the global flood, then you have to get around that somehow when the global flood would explain it all. Everything that took place, it actually that, that was one thing I was really impressed as I've tried to get as deep as my mind would let me get, get into this and study and, and, and listen to videos and read articles and do all the things, how much evidence there is for a global flood. 
that explains everything that you're seeing that they're finding when it comes to fossils, when it comes to sediment, uh, uh, sedimentary uh, sediment, uh, sediment on the earth where it gets scattered out. I'm going to have trouble with some words tonight. Just bear with me. As, as it gets scattered out, all of this can be explained if we do by a global flood. Now, if it wasn't global flood, there's some things that we have to ask ourselves and see. Why not just relocate Noah? If it was a local flood and they say, okay, the Bible, what it says in the Bible is true, there was a flood, and many of them, many of them admit that it's a flood, they just say it's local. But if that's true, why didn't Noah just relocate? Why did he spend decades of his life building an ark? Would there be any need in it? Why wouldn't God just say, okay, here I'm going to flood this area, so I need you to move over here. You're a righteous man. Remember, he was righteous, perfect in his generation. He walked with God. So God said, hey, I'm recognizing you. I'm recognizing you and your family. Y'all need to go over here and stand on this hill for a little while. Because here's what's going to happen over here. If it was a local flood, I mean, when you think about just on the simple level of things, if that's what it was, then how come he, how come he didn't do that? Why would he waste so much time in his life? Also, if it was a local flood, why bother with the animals? God sent the animals to Noah, didn't he? Genesis 6, 17 through 20 there. He sent the animals to him. Why didn't he send them somewhere else? You would think he would. You know, I guess the point I'm trying to make here, you can't mix the truth. You can't take bits and pieces of the Bible and say, okay, I believe this part, but this part isn't true. And, you know, I believe this part or this part isn't true. We either believe it or none of it's true. There can't be any middle ground to it. You have to believe it that it happened like it was or nothing else makes any sense. There's no logic to it. But many times that's what we want to do, even going back to creation. We want to believe bits and parts of it. Well, I believe in creation, but I believe God just did it over millions of years. You know, we're, you're either a creationist or you're a, a theistic evolutionist, or you're a progressive creationist, and you try to mix the two, and it doesn't work. No, nothing else fits in the timeline. So we either believe the creation happened when it did, and then some 1,656 years, uh, we believe the global flood took place and changed everything that it changed, because if they, that didn't happen the way that it did, then there's things in the New Testament we might as well rip out. A lot of things that Peter said, we might as well just rip out. Because there's a whole lot of comparison through the New Testament of what happened with Noah and his family and what took place with a global flood. So again, we either believe it or we don't. So if we can't take bits and pieces, so why bother with the animals? What about the mountains? If it was a local flood, then the mountains wouldn't have been covered, would they? How would you, how, how would you figure that? The Bible tells us that it covered all of the mountains. So how did it do that if it was just local? Were there just mountains in that one little spot? If it did, it looks like it would keep pouring over them anyway. I mean, I, I found out really quick that I realize now why I didn't go into a scientific field. A lot of this stuff don't make sense to me. And I've had a real hard time putting it together in my mind. But as I've started getting bits and pieces of it, it's starting to have those aha moments and say, oh, now I can see this, or now I can see that. Now that makes sense. Well, if, if you start trying to take bits and pieces, then things don't make sense. 
Especially, we either take what the Bible says or we don't. So what about the mountain? How could it destroy all flesh? It's been estimated that there were some 200, or 215 million people on the face of the earth at that time. That's just an estimation, maybe a guess, of what was on the earth during the time of the flood. How do you destroy all flesh, as God said that he was going to do? Can you do that in a local flood? Okay, all you animals, you go that way. Everybody else, well, no, all flesh would include that. All y'all get back over here. Everybody get in this one little hole over here. I'm going to pour water on it. See, it, it just doesn't fit. And I think that's the point. I think that's the point of uh, especially evolution's, evolutionary scientists is they're wanting to make creationists that follow the Bible look ignorant and look stupid. To say, to see, this doesn't make sense, this doesn't fit, this doesn't fit. It only doesn't fit if you, take, if you don't take what the Bible says. Then it doesn't fit. But if you take what the Bible says, you can not only take it on faith of what it says, you have evidence that it happened. But yet many times we don't want to see it that way or we don't want to believe it that way. And it comes down to, is God a liar? You know, God said that he did it. Matter of fact, God made a promise, didn't he? I'm not going to destroy the earth with floods, with floodwaters like I did. Here's what's going to happen. And he gave the promise of that with a rainbow. Remember, he, he made that covenant. He did. Is he a liar? Because he said, I'm not going to do it like I did. So did he do it or not? He either did or he didn't. That, that's really what it boils down to. And that's what we have to ask ourselves. That's what we have to uh, look at. Also, will judgment be universal or local? You can go read Peter. You can read other accounts that compare what happened with Noah, what happened with the flood, that God brought judgment on the world, and he compares that to judgment. So is judgment going to be local or is it going to be universal? Is just going to be a few people get judged or is there going to, everyone going to be judged? See, again, when you start asking these questions, it either makes sense or it doesn't. And if you start taking bits and pieces out, of course, it doesn't make sense. Now, I put it off long enough. <laughs> Here we go. Now you get into the science part of it. When you start looking at evidence, you can see all the stories that were there, all the legends that, that had root into one event. Then you have things of Scripture. You have what God says. We're going to get into more of that, of what God says that happened. Uh, and we either believe it or we don't. And do we take it with blind faith? You know, faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, I didn't see the flood, did you? I, I, I didn't see God open up and all the devastation that happened. I didn't see that. But then again, I didn't see my Lord get beat either. I didn't see him get scourged. I didn't get, see him get hung on the cross. I, I didn't see him, see him put him in the tomb. I didn't see him raised. But do I believe he did? Do I believe it happened? Absolutely I do. Why? There's evidence. There's one that God said it, but there's also evidence that that, that took place. So it's not just blind faith. It's the substance. It's the anchor. What's that anchor? There, there's evidence that we can see around us, just like the attributes of God that's all around us. You know, there's, there's times when Apologetic Express, I remember one time they come and prove Jesus. Uh, they said, we're going to prove Jesus without using the Bible. And I thought that's interesting because 
If you talk to someone who doesn't believe the Bible, if you go to the Bible and prove it, what good is it going to do you? You've got to show them some evidences that are around. As God said, His attributes are all around us. So there is evidence for this. What are some of the evidences? Well, let's look at them. You start with uh, sedimentary rock layers. Now, what does this mean? Well, all this means really is if there, if there was a global flood, and this global flood happened as violent as the Bible describes about the ocean floors opening up and the heavens pouring down and everything it did, then there should be sedimentary uh, rock uh, layers or this, this layer of this uh, everywhere. Not only in local places, but throughout continents and actually not throughout continents, but in between continents. Because what it is, it, it's going to push all that sand, all that sediment. It's going to push it where it goes. So there should be evidence. If there wasn't a global flood, there wouldn't be any evidence of that. But actually there is over 80%. 80% of, of what they're finding throughout the earth's surface has sedimentary rock. Just like, and it shouldn't have it. Now they actually find some where they find it in local beds that should be there that happens over time. But what they've also found throughout every continent and even in between the continents is sedimentary rock that shouldn't be in the places that it's at because it was a local flood. It pushed through so much, so fast that, you know, then these rock layers and the sand and everything just settled down to where it is, but it did it in a violent way that caused some other things to happen. But there should be, that, that's the first clue. There should be evidence of that. And there is every single place they look. And what's interesting enough is they can't explain that. They can't explain it away with a localized flood. And they're having a real hard time explaining it away. And they actually have not. They kind of skip over these things. That's what I, I, I've really learned. If I've not learned anything else in studying these things, is that evolutionary scientists, they're built on just like a, 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 a house of cards, on nothing. I mean, they skip so much, but people still believe it. And even when it's proven by their own peers that it was wrong, they still teach it and follow it. They don't retract it back. That, that's what amazes me, is people still believe it and still teach it and they still talk about it because that's what we've always heard and it, it, it's always been like that and we don't give it much thought. I mean, how much thought did you really give when you were a young kid and they give you a book in school and you look at it and you see all these nice dinosaurs and you're trying to name those dinosaurs and then you see a little sentence that says 65 million years ago extinct. Did it really strike you as, hey, wait a minute, that's not right? Or did you just kind of go on and start looking at the pictures? See, we, we don't think about this, but that's what they did. But there should be, there should be uh, evidence uh, of these... Uh, uh, sedimentary rocks uh, everywhere because of the, the flood, and that's exactly uh, what they are. And especially what's the, the proven factor is over all the different continents and finding it in different places, that evidence it should have been somewhere else and in between the continents itself. So you see all of this, and it's uh, undeniable, but again, it's just another evidence for the global flood uh, that actually took place. What about marine fossils? 
if a global flood took place, there should be marine fossils in places that there shouldn't be marine life fossils. But there are. Even in some of the highest mountains, uh, like the Himalayas, they're finding marine fossils. How do you explain that? How, how do you ex explain that, that these, these fossils actually exist? How do you say that this now? Here's what they try to say. We're going to talk about that in a minute. They try to say, well, these mountains were formed over millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years. So they were once on the sea floor and came up and those fossils were just part of them. I mean, you've got, you got to try to prove it somehow, I guess. But that's their line of thinking. But there's some problems with that, some major problems with that. But how else are they going to explain that? Now, if there was a global flood that went above uh, the mountaintops, not just a flood. Now, we're not just talking about to be able to form these fossils. There, there are certain things that have to take place. This isn't just the water just rising and, you know, and just, just rising and eventually it gets over the mountain. That, that, that's not how it took place. You've got mountains actually forming at the same time all of these things are taking place because it's at a, uh, an astronomical rate because of the power and the destruction that's going on. And you've got the, 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 the force of the flood that's actually going and it takes that with the mudslides and those instant things to form the fossils that it does. It's not something that just happened just over time. This was a quick thing that happened. But see, they can't plan that. They can't... Uh, uh, explain that away. But they try to say to fit into their timeline that this is how it took place. And if it took place like that, you wouldn't have fossils like that in the first place. But they don't want to tell you that part. They don't want to admit that. They just skip over that part. They skip over the part that that's not how fossils were actually formed in, in the way, in the, the, the wholeness in which they were formed. So there you've got the sedimentary rock, which there, there should be, and then you've got to where uh, uh, these marine fossils are places that they shouldn't be. Then you have a catastrophic burial and fossil graveyard. Here's where it shows the violentness of the flood. Not only do you have fossils where they don't belong, marine fossils where they don't belong, but you've got actually a, a graveyard where they're piled up of fossils that it looks like that something had happened that got them all in at one moment, at one time with such violent force that it just buried them alive in one spot. I reckon what that could have been. That didn't happen over millions and millions and millions of years. They couldn't have formed the fossils in the way in which it was. And, 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 and like it, it, It's just like digging up a massive grave is really what it is. But they find this because it pushes it so hard and so fast into these places and these mudslides that took place. And, of course, it has to have the water that's over it to really form the fossils in the way it does. But that's how they got to where they are. But, again, they, they, just, they just completely passed this over. You know, I, I tried to look up different things of how they explained it. There's not really a whole lot of explanation for that because that does away with the theory of, okay, one here, one here, and they just died and fossilized over, and then everything come on it over millions and millions of years. Well, what they all do? Decide, okay, let's take a herd of all kinds of different species, and then you actually see it like you would see it if, 
if a massive flood had come. You know, you've got your, your, your land animals, you've got uh, uh, then those are closer to the seashore, you've got those that are in the sea, and as it pushes it forward, it's like they piled up on each other. And they would be exactly piled up like they would be if that force brought them all together. That's in the level in which they find them. It ain't like they're just scattered out. So, again, there's evidence, there's provable evidence to look at it and see, how do you explain how this happened? Well, if you go to the Bible and as the Bible says it happens, then this makes sense. Then this fits right into it. But yet again, they don't want to look at it from that standpoint. Unearthly uh, seismites. These are an interesting thing because there's a lot that takes place for these to happen. What are these? These are, uh, these are uh, sandstones that has um, little wiggly lines down them, little squiggly lines. And here's how that takes place. How, how you form these is if, it's just like you going to, uh, I'm trying to put it in my terms. It's, <coughs> it's like if you go to, uh, <coughs> now I tried to explain it like Jeff Miller explained it, and that's a little over my words, that, $4 words that I can't afford. It's like going to the seashore. And, and you ever stepped on the sand right before it goes into the water? And you, you step on it and it's all squishy. You know, don't let somebody see you dance there. But, you know, if you did that and it's all squishy, well, what happens? You, you push that sand down. And as you push that sand down, then, of course, water tries to escape from it. And as it comes up, and then it goes out into the water. Well, th well that's what this is in a, in a massive form. If you were to take that and, and to cut into it, and as you cut into it, you see these little... Um, uh, gaps that go straight up and these gaps are called uh, fluid uh, avulsions uh, structures basically that's, that's a big phrase but basically it's like a volcano like a volcano will erupt and the magma comes out of it that's actually what the water is doing out of these uh, sandy rock sediments and so as that comes out it pushes that out and it leaves these little squiggly lines well what usually happens with this is it, it's normally like centimeters. It, and it takes, it takes a lot of things for this to happen. And this usually happens when an earthquake takes place. Uh, uh, even a massive earthquake. I think uh, uh, one of them I read, it was an eight point something, what, whatever the highest one it was. Uh, it caused even, it, it, what it caused with these were just like centimeters. Well, these are actually in meters. These are formed in this. But to for have this take place, it's not just an earthquake that takes place. There has to be an earthquake that takes place, but there has to be water that's flowing over it that's bringing these sand, this, this wet sand, this sediment that goes down into there, and it's forcing that water and other things back up at the same time. But then over here you've got these mountains that are, are being formed that's crashing up out of the earth that pushes all of this. So there has to be water, there has to be the sand, there has to be the earthquake, there has to be all of this that's taking place all at the same time to form what you're seeing here that Dr. Jeff Miller is standing beside. But to form something that big, they said there's not even, they can't even think of an earthquake or, or a catastrophic event in 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 history that they can think of that would cause that, except for one thing, the fl global flood. There's not been an earthquake like that since, or several earthquakes like that since. Now, as 
as it gets into all of this, I know this is a lot of mumbo-jumbo, but again, what it's proven is to find things like this, it doesn't happen. Something that happens just by a centimeter that actually could happen that quickly to, to eventually form something that goes into meters, something had to happen. What was it? What, what was it that took place to explain these things that are going on? These things that they're finding. Again, you're finding this evidence. You're finding this evidence. You're finding this evidence. And you start putting all these together, pretty soon you can't deny something took place. But you also can't say, yeah, something took place, but it took place 65 million years ago or whatever it was. It doesn't form like that. And evolutionary scientists and geologists and even... Uh, uh, a creation geologists and scientists will all agree on one fact. It doesn't form that way. But then the group over here will just say, oh, I know it doesn't form that way, but we've got another excuse for it. Over here says, okay, it doesn't form that way, so let's find out what did happen. And then how you explain it is with the global flood that took place. And we're going to show, hopefully here in just a minute, exactly uh, how maybe that took place. Then you have something else fun and enjoyable. <laughs> Uh, you got the Cambrian explosion that took place. You got this geologic column. Now, here's the thing: if since creation scientists and, and Bible-believing followers of God believe that this took place, that the global flood took place, and if you believe that it took place, there should be things that you can predict and say this is what you're going to find, because this took place. Here's what you're going to find. And here's some things. The first thing is, if the global flood took place, then before the flood, prior to the flood, you shouldn't find many fossils. Because they're, in order for a fossil to actually form like it forms, uh, it doesn't happen just by an animal dying, and then eventually it turns into a fossil. It doesn't happen that way. There's some other things that have to take place. So one thing they can predict is, and they did find, that in this uh, 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 geologic column here, in the pre-flood section, you shouldn't find hardly any fossils at all. You'll find some, but not any at all. Guess what? They didn't find many at all. The next thing that they say that you, you should be able to prove is that you shouldn't be able to find any transitional fossils. And all that means is you, you, you shouldn't be able to find, if evolution, you know, if evolutionists have their way, they said this is what you're going to find. You're going to find fossils that are making that transition from uh, an ancestral, uh, that has ancestral traits, and you have the traits of the one that descendants of it. In other words, they're going through that transitional mode. In this evolutionary mode, you'll find traits of both of them. If the global flood happened, you wouldn't find that. And they didn't find any. They've not found any of those. Then the next thing they said, there should be a marker. If you could uh, prove that there's global flood, there should be a marker, a line that you could look at and say, this is where that took place. And you find that. You start finding what happened after that. And what you should be able to find is actual intact living creatures that are, are fossilized in their intact form. 
Because that's how fossils actually do with a mudslide and with water and everything that just covers them up alive and just entombs them there and it fossilizes them. That, that's actually how it is. It's not that they just kill over dead and they turn into a fossil. That, that's not exactly how, how this works. They said you should be able to find that. And the first fossil record, now that, that come on the first fossil record, that's the kind of fossils that you're finding is these intact fossils of these living creatures that just are in, intact. And it shouldn't be like that. But they're finding that. The next thing, if there was a global flood, there should be, as they call it here, this Cambrian explosion, there should be an explosion. During that flood time period, you should find a lot of those everywhere. And there was. There's an explosion of that during from the marker of the pre-flood to the marker of the post-flood. That's where they're finding it all. Because that's what took place. You had this you know, this catastrophe that took place, and as it's covering with water and it's covering with sand and these mudslides, that's why you're finding these fossil burial grounds and you're finding them in places that they shouldn't be. And you're finding just all kinds of them together because they are together. There's one big event that killed them off at one time. But there, so you should be able to find that. And they are finding it from the layer of where they say the flood started and the layer of post-flood, that's what they're finding in between that. So again, you can't just say, well, here's what I believe that took place because the Bible says it, and it should be enough. But to the world, that's not enough. So you should be able to, in the, the scientific field, to be able to say, okay, here's evidence of that, and there is. In everything that you look at, there's evidence for it. That's what's amazing about it. That's, that's the allness of God, uh, of what's taking place. So you're, you're finding this in every scientific field, everything that they're doing, they're finding this evidence that goes back to, if you believe in a global flood that happened as God said it did, that explains everything that you're seeing. Now, they can come up with other explanations and try to say everything that they do, but they have to do some hop, skip, and jumping to be able to get to it. If you take God's word for it and just take it as it is, it's laid out just like it is. But yet individuals don't want to believe that. Now, an explanation of what actually happened. If you're looking for that here, you're not going to get a lot of it. But there is a lot of evidence out there, but I'll try to do it as best we can. Let's look at some things from the Bible first, okay? And then look and see actually how we think that probably looked like or happened. Starting in Genesis 7 and 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on the day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were open. Genesis 7, 17 through 18 and, and verse 24. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. You covered it with the deep, Psalm says. the psalmist says. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so they may uh, not again cover the earth. See, we read things like this and we think, well, that's just apocalyptic talk is all that is. 
Did it happen like the psalmist said or did it? But that's what the Bible tells us. In Genesis 8, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth. And the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped. And the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continuously from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month and the seventh day of the month on, on mountains of Ararat. Now, how did all of this work? All that that God says had happened, and he, he, he kind of left a broad range there, but gives us some, some specifics of what took place and what God did at that time. Here's kind of a model that one smarter than me has come up with. This is a general creation scientist model of what more than likely took place, describing what the Bible says. The ocean floors opened up. You, you've got the, uh, the earth just like an apple. You know, it's got the core, then it's got the mantle, which is uh, uh, kind of the flesh, and then you've got the plates or the, the crust that's around it just as, like the skin of the apple. That's how you have, have the earth. What happened? It says the ocean floor opened up, so that mantle burst open. And they say it come up with so much hot magma that, you know, it's cooling the ocean. It's coming up to the ocean floor, so it's cooling as it does and shoots so much steam up into the air like geysers. Now, not just in one place. You're talking about the ocean floor. You're talking about all of these places uh, all throughout, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of miles. So all this, all this steam is shooting up, they say, like geysers with such violent force. And then that going into the what was how the atmosphere was then, like a big, I guess like a big bubble around the earth, that broke open and come back down as rain. So you've got all of this shooting up like that, coming down as rain. Then in doing that, you've got it coming to where the ocean plates are breaking apart. In doing that, they're coming together. They're breaking apart. They're subserving. They're, they're, they're going down in. They're, they're pulling apart. All this is taking place while, you know, it opens up these gaps where all of this is filling back up and cooling off. So they say the ocean floor probably raised some 3,000 feet at that time. You know, you're talking some massive event to what it used to be. So you, you're not talking about just the water just rising it just starting to rain, drizzle, and coming. This was a violent event in, in, a, in a pretty quick span here. So then you've got all this. We talked about this, how possibly the world was with Pangaea, where the continents were together. They say this is what broke them apart, breaking those platelets apart and, and just moving back and forth, that now the continents move just kind of like the... the kind of like your fingernails would grow. That's how slow it was. But then it moved just in a greater force at one time because there was so much pressure coming out. Now, do I know all this for sure that it happened exactly like this? There's people smarter than me, absolutely, that study this. This is their explanation of that. But this goes along with what the Scriptures say. The Scriptures say this happens, and now you can actually look and go back. And I think since, I think it's 1992, they were able to study things a little more in depth down toward the mantle especially and seeing these things that it proves that it took place just like the Bible says that it did. So as, as we think about this and we think about all these that's taking place, we don't think about you know just the water coming up. We're thinking about mountains being formed. Not, not just at the rate that we see them today as they say for you know, oh it took 60 million years and to, to do this because that's where they go back to Uniforma T, 
Trinitarianism. I got it. I think that's how you say that word. I was kidding with Kevin that I probably couldn't get that word out. I always want to put a Larry in there somewhere. But what that word actually means is things are happening today like they've always happened before. That's what scientists base things on. That's how they look. They take things how they are now, and they just take it, and they back it up, back it up, back it up, say it's always been that way. But that's not the case when it comes to the global flood. Global flood changed things tremendously. Now, how did God do that? Did he do it himself? Did he send a meteorite to crash into the earth to do that? I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know how he did it. I just know that he did. I believe that he did. He says that he did. How did it actually take place? I don't know. It could have been like this. Something happened. There's evidence to prove that it happened. So I think that goes a long way into what we're seeing. So, how does that apply to me? We probably ain't going to have time to talk about that much. The evidence for God is everywhere. I think that's how it applies to us. Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. I think, if nothing else, it proves there's evidence out here that there's a God. There's evidence out here that God has done the things that he said he's done. We don't have to just say, I'm blindly leading. I'm blindly following. It's not blind faith. He's never asked us to have blind faith. He's asked us to believe in him on the evidence that he tells us and the evidence that we see. Do we need any more? God said it. That settles it. That's enough, isn't it? But the bonus is we have evidence and proof of things. And that goes a long way with their faith. If God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. I think that's a takeaway that we can have to apply with us. We could use the flood to say, to know if God said he's going to do it, who formerly were disobedient but once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. Remember what Paul said in Acts 17, 31? Because he has appointed the day in which he would judge the world in righteousness by the man he has ordained, he has given assurance of this by raising him from the dead. That's how it applies to us. God works in mysterious ways. You know, you hear that phrase thrown out, but God actually does. Uh, we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord or are called according to his purpose. There's a lot of ways I don't know how God's working. When it comes to providence, we can't always pinpoint providence. We can always pinpoint, yeah, I can see God did it that way. Just like the things we were studying tonight. I don't know how God did that, whether he did it himself, whether he caused other things to happen to do that. He still was behind it. I know there was a global flood. There's no doubt in my mind. My whole faith hinges on it. Because if I don't believe that, I can't believe anything else. I've got to believe what he says. And I can know that God may work in mysterious ways because his ways are greater than my ways. The secret things belong to God. Deuteronomy 29, 29, Isaiah 55, his ways are greater than my ways. So I don't know all of those ways. Sin requires a cleansing, I think it tells us. 1 Peter 3, 20, 21, he compares the flood to what our baptism is today. And I think we can take away that from it. So, the flood, there you have it. And all its glory as I can explain it. But I do, I do encourage you to, to study this. It, it's an interesting study. It, it's something I think can help uh, 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 kind of build up our faith. It really has mine. I've, I've kind of complained. I went through it kicking and screaming. But I have benefited from the study, and I hope that you have too.